0: Hey, welcome to the Traveler podcast. I'm your host, Dan Runcy. Today's pod is an audio version of my most recent essay, Netflix's Black Content Strategy Explained. I wrote this essay last week I held off a few days before recording the audio for this because I was waiting for some feedback. I was curious to see what the response was, specifically from Netflix. I had sent this out to the executive team. I did hear back from the CMO, Bozema St. John. I was also waiting to hear back from the dynamic duo themselves, the co-CEOs Reed Hastings and Ted Sarandos. I haven't heard anything back yet. It is ironic, though, because currently I'm reading Reed Hastings' new book, No Rules Rules, which is all about Netflix's culture. It's been an interesting read, although I do think that if you've read Netflix's culture deck that Reed had put out himself back in 2009. You'll see similar themes about what Netflix has been known for. Or if you ever listen to Patty McCord, the former chief talent officer there, you've also heard a lot about the culture and how they made some tough decisions. But I'll keep you posted if I hear back from either of them. Let's get right into it. Netflix's Black Content Strategy Explained, the global entertainment company has grown stronger since it leveled up and focused on its influential customers. On June 30th, 2020, Netflix made two huge moves. It transferred $100 million to Black-owned banks and named Bozoma St. John its chief marketing officer. These announcements came in the wake of George Floyd's murder. Society called on corporate America to do better, and the video streaming company responded. It was an end-of-the-quarter flex that built confidence with shareholders and customers alike. This was no surprise. Netflix had recently promoted more Black executives, elevated its Strong Black Lead initiative, and acquired more Black content. Black subscriber growth has been a key driver of Netflix's performance. Customers now expect the streaming titan to be a hub for Black culture. But one day, that growth may slow down. And when it does... Will Netflix keep this same energy? Netflix feared missing out on a pivotal moment. In 2013, Netflix was praised for the diverse cast of Orange is the New Black. It was a step in the right direction, but the strategy didn't take off until 2015 when a group of black executives spoke up. From Ben Smith in the New York Times, quote, In the summer of 2015, Black employees at Netflix produced a memo and PowerPoint presentation to make the case that the company was missing an opportunity with black audiences. They argued in the documents which I obtained that Netflix risked missing a boom defined by Empire at Fox, Blackish, and How to Get Away with Murder on ABC. At the time, The memo estimated only about 2 million black households were subscribing to Netflix, 5% of its total subscribers. It said that black households were a $1.4 billion revenue opportunity and that few of Netflix's top 100 shows popular across other groups weren't resonating with black audiences. End quote. These shows often get lumped together, but they tell different stories. Blackish viewers are 20% black. How to Get Away with Murder was 31%. They proved, yet again, that black-led shows can reach the masses. The majority of the viewers were non-black, yet still brought in more black viewers than most primetime shows. Meanwhile, Empire's audience was 63% black. It was Fox's biggest hit in years. It was Terrence Howard's biggest hit since he fumbled the bag with Iron Man. Black shows with a majority black audience could succeed on a major network too. Netflix had the data and budget to target these segments. It could reach that Shondaland ABC audience with shows like 7 Seconds. It could reach a majority black audience with Tyler Perry's A Fall From Grace. This was the perfect challenge for a company that doesn't play by Hollywood's rules and spends more money on content than everyone but Disney and Comcast. The Law of the Few to Grow Subscribers The black audience value is deeper than subscriber counts. This is about influence. Let's revisit the Trapital essay, Beyonce's Streaming Strategy, Explained. Quote, Let's assume Netflix paid $30 million total to produce and market Homecoming. According to the Financial Times, Netflix's customer lifetime value is just under $200 per subscriber. A three-to-one ratio of customer lifetime value to customer acquisition cost is a common target in tech. If Netflix wants Homecoming to meet that, the documentary needs to bring in, or retain, 450,000 subscribers to justify the $30 million spent, end quote. Homecoming drew 1.1 million viewers on its first day with a 63% black audience. Black people over-index in consumer power. We're 44% more likely to post about our favorite brands on social media, which leads to more trending topics and more earned media. Netflix rarely shares stats, but let's safely assume that Homecoming was more valuable than Netflix's Taylor Swift documentary, Miss Americana. Taylor Swift's audience may technically be bigger, but Beyonce's is built different. The Beehive runs like a low-key inside sales team. It's a group of passionate mavens who attract subscribers by spreading the word. This is the law of the few that Malcolm Gladwell broke down in the tipping point. In cases, in this case, the few are the tens of million dedicated Beehive members, especially those at the bottom of our sales funnel. This is the power of the Beehive. A limited few can easily reach the masses. And in the article, I included a visual that I drew to show the relationship between the content, the audience, and how the beehive can easily reach the masses. But this isn't just a beehive fanatic thing. This extends to most black content in Netflix's catalog. These nuances need to be factored into the company's lifetime value and customer acquisition cost ratios. If a customer is more likely to attract other users, then the company should spend more to acquire that customer. Produce the content, build the relationships, Brand the initiative. Netflix's black content strategy can be broken down into three parts. First, it acquires and produces the content. It gets the 90s classics like Menace to Society and Set It Off. It also creates originals like What Happened to Miss Simone and The Black Godfather. Fun fact, The Black Godfather, entertainment exec Clarence Avant, is the father-in-law of Netflix co-CEO Ted Sarandos, Small World. Second, Netflix builds relationships with popular black directors. Ava DuVernay has done several projects with the entertainment company, including upcoming ones on Colin Kaepernick and Nipsey Hussle. Spike Lee had trouble finding a home for the five bloods, but Netflix came through. In 2019... Black directors helmed 13% of Netflix's feature-length releases, compared to 5.5% for the rest of Hollywood. Netflix then gave those same filmmakers a platform to tell their story in The First Time I Saw Me campaign. The company also has deals with showrunners Shonda Rhimes and Kenya Barris. Third, it branded the initiative. Strong Black Lead used to be the company's internal employee resource group, in 2018, it became the marketing arm to highlight stories, produce podcasts, and engage with its audience on social media. But to be fair, it took Netflix some time to get here. In 2018, the company fired a PR exec after a repeated use of the N-word. Its infamous algorithm has made it difficult to find black content, and its personalized artwork may have people thinking Molly's Game is a movie starring Idris Elba. It's far from perfect, yet still, it's ahead of most competitors. Over time, Hollywood's racial shortcomings became Netflix's arbitrage. The Shift from Acquisition to Retention Since 2015, Netflix's black subscribers have grown from 5% of all Netflix customers to 13%. The number of overall subscribers has tripled from 60 million in 2015 to over 190 million in 2020. But overall U.S. growth has slowed down, which means black subscriber growth in the U.S. isn't far behind. International growth will become the priority. The black content strategy may shift from acquisition to retention, which could mean changes. For instance, the two most popular shows on Netflix were once The Office and Friends. These shows were audience anchors while Netflix built up its original programming. But by the time Warner Media and NBC Universal bought the exclusive streaming rights to Friends and The Office, respectively, Netflix was good. It treated those shows like undervalued players on its NBA roster. It got a great deal under the initial terms, but once the deals ended, other teams paid up for the max contracts. Churn is not a big issue either. Netflix has the highest retention rate of any over-the-top streaming service. Two-thirds of its customers are still signed up after 12 months. The more ubiquitous the service becomes, the harder it is to leave. If Netflix knows it has an audience and it's less likely to leave, will it still put in the effort? Historically, we've seen networks like Fox, UPN, and the WB pull this stunt before. Remember, Netflix isn't scared to make unpopular moves. This company is known for its anybody-can-get-cut approach to talent. CEO Reed Hastings has said on several occasions that Netflix is a team and not a family. Even Quickster a PR nightmare that lost the company 800,000 subscribers, was still reinstated years later with DVD.com. But Netflix shouldn't stray for several reasons. If the inside sales team has nothing to tell their friends about, then the value of the content will drop. Word of mouth is still undefeated. Next, the black audience still has room to grow. For context, 24% of Twitter users are black, and Cash App is now a $40 billion dollar business with help from hip-hop. Plus, most other video streaming services are just now trying to get where Netflix is now. It would be foolish to let that slip. Blackleg content is also extremely popular overseas. It's America's biggest cultural export. This content will resonate in Netflix's growth regions. The playbook can be adapted for other cultures too with shows like Top Boy. The addressable market may shift, but the love for the culture stays the same. Netflix is operating in a different era of entertainment. This is the world of Black Twitter, Oscar So White, Black Panther, and dozens of networks vying for Black content. Accountability is high, interest is high, and the same excuses won't work. Other networks have adapted as well. HBO cleaned up at the 2020 Emmys thanks to Black-led shows like Watchmen and Euphoria... It also landed in Michaela Cole's I May Destroy You after the actress turned down Netflix's offer. Netflix still has the power. With almost 200 million subscribers, distribution is its biggest strength. But if it gets caught slipping, its competitors are more than willing to take its place. If you enjoyed this podcast, please tell at least one friend about this podcast. Word of mouth is still the best way to grow. Go to Apple Podcasts, go to iTunes, leave a review rate the podcast. I will screenshot and share the podcast ratings on Twitter and Instagram. That can encourage more people to share the podcast. And if this podcast is your first introduction to Trapital, then make sure you check out the rest of the content. Go to Trapital.co. That's T-R-A-P-I-T-A-L dot C-O. Sign up for the weekly newsletter. Get all the content there. And also, shoot me a text. That's also a great way to stay in touch with Trapital content. You can text me, Dan Runcy at 415-234-3074. Thanks again. See you next week.